Today on the World Triathlon Podcast, we have two names who will be very familiar to anyone who has been following the series and World Cup circuit for the past decade. Gillian Sanders, the three-time Olympian turned commentator and lawyer, and Tommy Zafiris, former USA triathlete turned all-rounder on both sides of the camera. Guys, welcome on. Good to have you for this look back over the season and a preview of the big one. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Doug. Hi, Tommy. Really nice to be here. Looking forward to a little chat about what we can expect. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for having us, Doug. Good to see you, Jillian. Um, I'm excited to talk about this because, uh, yeah, we have no idea what's going to be happening. So we're ready for Doug to throw some stuff at us and see what we can remember. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into the week's episode, if you're lucky enough to be in Abu Dhabi competing or cheering on next weekend, then check out the My Woosh booth at the Championship Finals Expo. If you're not heading out there but want to get into some virtual group rides with fellow triathletes around the world, you can sign up for free at mywoosh.com and join one of nine different levels of daily My Bunch rides or tailor-made training sessions to get to work on your pacing and consistency. Tommy, you're a bit of a fan of a virtual bike, aren't you? Uh, especially having a new baby that's like 90 percent of my riding now is at 8 p.m at night like after the baby goes to sleep yeah jump on virtual platforms boom get your ride in <laughs> jillian do you partake or are you still like you know obviously presumably you're missing slightly like the the grind but um do you prefer to get out and about or are you uh I try and eke out the good weather as much as I can. And then if it's awful, yeah, then I'll, then I'll head virtual. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's plenty of horrible weather in the UK. So, yeah. And as a final piece of business, before we get into things, I know you two are quite into this. The the World Triathlon has teamed up with obstri.com, O-B-S-T-R-I.com, home of the best triathlon fantasy league game out there. So do join up, uh, join the World Triathlon League test your race know-how against the likes of Tommy and rumor has it and undercover Gillian Sanders. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy using my pseudonyms as do you, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Doug, how does it feel to say the best fantasy website when you've been running your Excel spreadsheet for the entire year? <laughs> I feel like that spreadsheet will go down in like some sort of triathlon museum in 50 years time. People will look back on that and be like, my God, what the hell was that? But yeah, blown out of the water by Obstri and their nice, efficient, easy to use <laughs> version. Yeah, it's nice to have the lead swim, bike and run like aspect as well, which was quite cool. I enjoyed putting that in. I think I only got one of the three rights, but um, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, you didn't bring it up when I was for my version, did you? You didn't say that, that was a nice thing. <laughs> 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 so here we are, championship finals 10 days away. They're an interesting beast, aren't they? More points on the line and races within races. Um, Gillian, championship finals, you've raced several. Didn't always have your best results there, should we say? <laughs> Fair to say? No. Um, but yeah, like how, how there's always that sort of slight unique atmosphere to them, right? Yeah, it's great because you've always got all the age group athletes there, which adds a different dimension. There's a lot more support out on the course, especially if you're not racing you know, in your home country. So yeah, it's always great, more support. And yeah, I think some athletes, it helps elevate their racing. Um, that atmosphere is great. And yeah, I suppose just a little bit of pressure as well. There are some extra points on the line. Um, there's world titles on the line. And yeah, this year particularly, it's been a really long year. There might be some tired bodies there, but I think everyone wants to finish on a high. Um, also Olympic points on the line and we've got some really close um, 
close leaderboards, I think it's going to be a really exciting way to head into the final this year. Yeah, it's it's almost got a, a sort of Olympic finals type vibe to it this this time with those sort of head to head battles. Have they, when you have been on those start lines for the for the finals in the past, have they had, you know, have you sensed very much like a different energy and a different electricity from from those athletes that have, you know, all to all to go for? There's some just kind of wanting to finish the season on a high. There's there's a lot going on there, I'd imagine. Yeah, I'd say, and also to say, there's probably sometimes more of a tactical nature to the racing specifically amongst countries and we'll probably get into it in a little while but I think we might see a bit of tactics in play um specifically in the men's race uh next week Tom you didn't have a race the championship finals did you no I didn't shot a few shot quite a few and it's always the most challenging week I think of the entire year so it's almost similar to being an athlete actually because you have to prepare for it differently than you prepare for just a regular event because yeah you have all the the para events you have uh, the U23s and the age groupers and of course the elite so it's uh, quite the week I think in Edmonton last year the grand final when there was four back-to-back Olympic distance races I ended up running around 22k with all my cameras uh, by the end of the day so um, more than a half marathon with cameras uh, just to cover the event. So big day. <laughs> yeah. So you take your comfy shoes would, would be the recommendation there, Tom. It's going to be 90 degrees. Sometimes I, uh, oh, 90 degrees Fahrenheit. So probably like 33, 34 degrees uh, Celsius. And typically I'll wear two pairs of socks because I'm on my feet so much, but I'm not going to wear two pairs of socks if it's going to be that hot. So <laughs> <laughs> no, and not if I'm rooming with you as well, that's going to be, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think uh, the heat's gonna be a bit of an element isn't it um i spoke to one of the guys on the ground yesterday who said i think by 11 o'clock yesterday it was already 29 so um i think the women it might be more of a factor because they race at one o'clock and the guys go off at three so i think the heat might be more of a factor in the women's race once the guys hit the run it's gonna be i suppose late afternoon Hmm. Yeah, a one thirty start. What time? What time were they racing in Abu Dhabi at the end of twenty one, Tommy? That was looked from the shots like it was later in the day, no? Or was it earlier? Yeah, the sun was setting. Like the women's race, the sun actually went down when they were on the bike because uh, we have some pictures of yeah the sun being right at the horizon. Um, and then of course, yeah, you had to shoot the podiums with a flash because yeah, there's no light. <laughs> yes, shades of Gold Coast. 2018 where it was basically pitch black for the men's medal. or before you were there doug in cozumel 2016 jillian you probably raced there i don't know if you remember but they turned they had to extend the race because of storms so they pushed the race back like an hour an hour and a half something like that and so it went actually into the dark and they didn't have a generator or any lights or anything so it was just pitch black in cozumel <laughs> like literally pitch black everywhere <laughs> do you remember that Jillian, were I you in- do, yeah. I think we raced before the guys, or we raced on a different day. But I remember watching the guys race. Um, it was obviously that really dramatic finish um, with Johnny um, and Alistair. So a lot of drama going around, and um, yeah, just everyone watching in the dark. I think there was a little bit of an appeal as well, just with regards to, you know, the assistance with the brothers. So I think that also meant that the um, presentation and stuff was delayed. So Tommy, you must have been well into the dark by that by the time that took yeah. place. And people were in drug testing as well. And so we're just like waiting to leave and like no one could see anything. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. 
Yeah, those post-race appeals in your new role, Gillian, um, a commentator's nightmare, would you, <laughs> would you say? It's like, right, Phil, Phil, we've got no idea how long for, but Phil. Yeah, you just got to sit and chat, um, yeah, about the race, about how beautiful the scenery is and any other nonsense and, nonsense and excitement you can think of. How have you how have you found it? So was it this season you did your first races or had you done stuff already previously? I did my first one with Annie for the World Duathlon Champs at the end of last year. So that was my first little foray into the commentating world. Um, it was great having Annie alongside me because obviously she's really experienced and like learning from her and that type of thing. And then, yeah, did the World Model Sport Champs in Romania. And then, yeah, things have kind of um, gone from there. But really enjoying it. It's lots of fun. Nice being on the other side. <laughs> and calling the under-23s in Abu Dhabi, correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, they alongside are who? Yes, alongside Oli. Um, yeah, so Oli's done the World Juniors with me as well. Uh Yes, we're looking forward to that. It'll be uh, Friday morning. I think the women are around 7-ish and the men around 10-ish. I don't have the exact timings with me, but yeah, more or less then. That's timings, your time. No, you your time. time, yeah. I'll be up much earlier than that. Good Lord. <laughs> was it, was it Tong, no, which, did you do Miyazaki? Yes. Was that an all-nighter? That was like 3 a.m. or something. Yeah, I didn't go to bed. So Helen and I were living on um, uh, little sweets and things and drinking lots of caffeine, <laughs> but it's been a while since I've done an all-nighter. <laughs> but yeah, we had a lot of fun together, so it was all good. Starting those coffee grounds. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, your last actual race was was uh, the Olympics and Tokyo Olympics, right? Yeah, last World Triathlon race was yeah. Olympics, um, and last race I finished off at the Super League final in Malibu at the end of last year. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So a good year. way to Can keep you your hand it? in, you would say. Like is it, you know, what what have you have you missed it as much, more or less than you thought? And presumably the commentators are just a nice way to keep your hand in. I love the sports. I'm really passionate about it. I've been doing it, you know, since I was about 13. So yeah, I just love still being able to be involved. A lot of my friends are still racing. So it's just great to be able to, you know, call some of the races that that they're involved in. Um, I wouldn't say I miss, I suppose, the being at races and the thrill of racing itself. Um, yeah, not necessarily like being really tired and all the hectic amounts of training. I'm still keeping fit and just doing what I feel like when I feel like, which is quite nice. Um so yeah, I think it was the right time to retire. Once you start hitting my age and things are not going um, you know, in an upward trajectory, then yeah, it's I think it's time to to move away from the sport, even though I would have loved to carry on. And Tom, you've got your new role at USAT, right? You want to tell us a little a little about that, just uh and how that first year with them has been? Yeah, actually uh two days ago was the one year anniversary of starting to work for USAT. Um, basically, I, the easiest way to explain what I do is just a recruiter, like trying to find the next generation of Olympic triathletes. Um, I also help a lot with the development pipeline, so creating new programs and new opportunities for up-and-coming triathletes. So working with the high-performance team, um, yeah, just looking for the next gen of, yeah, best triathletes. 
pouring through the, the stats and uh and getting to those races is that yeah a majority of it is online uh yeah just researching different athletes and what they've been doing and their past and their background and then getting in touch with them having zoom calls and inviting them out to camp setting up camps all that stuff so would you go via the college recruitment type um thing with like the women or not really are you approaching it like differently to that or no so i'm basically the last 10 years of data that we have from the different programs that usat has run i'm trying to take the best of everything um because they've changed over the years they've had some successful things, some not successful things. So I've just been talking to previous athletes, uh, previous people who are in charge of the different programs, um, and then just trying to implement all the best things that we've had over the last 10 years. Um, obviously, I'm married to Katie Zafiris, who came through the program. Um, so I have a lot of insight to what her experience was like. Um, and so I try to take a lot of that knowledge uh, moving forward and finding yeah the next people. And so, yeah, a lot of my job is the collegiate recruitment side of things. Um, but yeah, trying to figure out, all right, Katie's generation, like 2012, 2013 area er, era is still the group of athletes who are performing well at the top. Um, and we haven't had too many people come through after that. So trying to figure out what changed after that and what we can change back to and see if we can get back to getting successful athletes from the NC2A running who have a swim background type thing. So yeah, that's the short, short version. <laughs> <laughs> Well, two people very well placed to uh, recap a season with Ben. Um, and yeah, look, look ahead. I know, Gillian, we've been sort of pouring over a little bit the the sort of permutations of the points for the men and the women and who needs what. And I guess the women's race is slightly more straightforward in terms of what the the, the likely players are, given that neither Flora Duffy nor Georgia Taylor-Brown have finished outside of the top 10 for a very long time. Um, well, Doug, I must say your maths is much better than mine. So just correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong on anything. Yeah, maths has never been my strong point. But yeah, um, if basically if Georgia wins uh, the events, uh, she takes the overall series. And similarly, if Flora wins, um, she takes the overall series. I think there's 69 points separating them. So yeah, I would agree. It's obviously down to one of those two, unless something dramatic happens. Um, I think there's, you know, a closer race for the third place with Beth, Laura, uh, Taylor, Nib, and Cassandra quite close together. But um, yeah, straight shootout between Flora and Georgia. Um, so difficult to separate them as well. Uh, neither of them seem to have a weakness at the moment. So I guess it's all going to boil down to what happens on the day, who manages the heat. Um, I think they've both handled the heats well in the past. Uh, you know, they both performed at the Tokyo Olympics. It wasn't necessarily a hot, hot day that day. As we know, <laughs> a typhoon came in, it was pouring with rain. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's going to be really tough to call it between the two of them. And I think we're just in for like a really epic day of racing. I would think there's probably going to be a breakaway of some type. So, um, yeah, if you look at the last two races, Bermuda and Cagliari, both Olympic distance, and there's been breakaways in both of those races. So I think we can probably expect a breakaway in the women's race. That's my prediction. Um, yeah, and provided both of them are in that breakaway, then it's going to come down to the run. If one of them misses it for some reason, well, then, you know, that makes things a bit simpler. Tom, would you, yeah, would you agree with that? I mean, um, it's it's interesting, isn't it, that I, I guess it doesn't appear like 
Flora has a weakness given that she's won in Abu Dhabi. She's lapped up the rain in Bermuda and, and Tokyo and so on as well. So, um, yeah, if Georgia was to, where, where can that be? What Where could it be won on last? If, if perhaps, like, even though she's sitting second in the rankings, for some reason, Flora feels like the favorite. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's why it's it's going to be an amazing race. I'm very excited for this because it's you could come up with any scenario and either one of them could win. Um, I do believe it's going to be a breakaway as well, um, and it's going to be a technical course, and neither of those, like both of those athletes are so strong that they're not going to get dropped from any front group. They're going to be at the front of the race. So it's going to come down to the run, in my opinion, and it's interesting because obviously Flora was not feeling her best in Yokohama, but Georgia got the better of Flora there in Olympic distance. Um, Georgia did have a flat at the Olympics uh, for the last probably four or five minutes of the bike. And so she lost some time there. Um, Flora most likely would have gotten the better of her, but who knows? Like when you're in that position and you're running together side by side, you always find that little bit extra. Um, yeah, it's in Commonwealth Games. I think Flora got the better of Georgia there. So um, both people have had completely different lead-ups. Uh, Flora raced 70.3 Worlds. Uh, she raced in Bermuda. Georgia raced all of Super League, but then sat out Bermuda, and she's been in Dubai training in the heat already. Um, and Flora's in Girona right now, where it's not, like, super warm. So, I mean, it's anybody's guess. Two completely different approaches to the lead-up to this race. Um, and I, I truly believe they're going to be running side-by-side -side until probably the last kilometer. I guess like an interesting comparison, straight comparison is the race in Abu Dhabi last year, right? Where Flora kind of pulled away and then Georgia, it looked like was, was going to kind of maybe bridge back up and then couldn't quite make it, but a very different course this time. Well, a, a literally a different course. Yeah. Looking at the, the new course, like I haven't seen an elevation profile, but having been there before, I'm pretty sure it's dead flat. Um, and so it's just going to be more technical. Uh, there are a lot of corners, a lot of like, um, not, I wouldn't say U-turns, but like, it's almost impossible to explain. Like you have to see on the map, but there's like zigzags and like roundabouts and like, you basically do a 90 degree turn and then there's like an arcing turn and then like sharp turn. So th there's like a bunch of those things. There's also nine laps. And so having nine laps just means you have to hit every single one of those corners um again so if there's let's just say 10 corners you have 10 more corners and if you lose like half a second or a second on each corner that's a lot of energy in an olympic distance race so even though it's a little bit more flat i think technically like the the riders who are able to hold wheels or yeah have more speed through the corners and are able to be more efficient um are going to perform a bit better how hot was it last year in abu dhabi like it was so it was later in the day but was it still kind of searing heat for shooting and, and racing in you weren't there were you Gillian? no i wasn't there so i'm waiting for tommy to answer <laughs> this one <laughs> uh as i recall like i don't remember being hot at all um and so that it was a different time of year as well i believe yeah i yeah, think it was november I yeah it was, it was the beginning, beginning of november yeah. yeah which should have been hotter um <laughs> So I don't know. I, I, yeah, I feel like I would have remembered if it was like destruction of heat. But uh, also, yeah, it wasn't it sprint distance. Yeah, it yeah, was, it was sprint distance yeah. last year. So that also changes everything. I think Olympic distance, 
well, you'll be able to tell a huge difference, even if it was the same temperature. Um, so yeah, sprint distance, you can kind of get away with it, but Olympic distance, I think a lot of people are going to be found out, um, if they don't hydrate properly, or you just go a little bit above that line and then you pass your threshold and can't get your heart back down. So, um, yeah, it's gonna see a lot of explosions. I have a feeling. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, the guy I spoke to yesterday said the water's between 27 and a half and 29 at the moment. So it's also going to be quite a hot swim. And Tommy, you'll know from swimming in hot water. I mean, you heat manage. Nothing right worse. From the start. Exactly. Nothing worse. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, that might also be, um, yeah, something that might affect the athletes. I'm sure a lot of them are aware of that from the race last year, but like you said, a sprint distance race is pretty different to an Olympic distance race. There was no Alex Yee or Hayden Wild in Abu Dhabi last year, was there? Hayden was there. Hayden, Hayden there. finished eighth, I believe, right. if I recall correctly. And so, yeah, just to kind of go back to that point. So by virtue of the pandemic pushing them back from a, from the, the schedule for 2021, Hamburg and Abu Dhabi obviously became part of this, season, this season's series. Um, so two races effectively in each. The Hamburg race, WTCS Hamburg of last year, didn't have, I guess, many of the big names uh, racing due to it being so close to the Olympics and so on. Um, Tim Helwig and Laura Lindemann both won. So Laura's now, where is she, third or fourth in the in the rankings? Um, fourth, yeah. Fourth. I guess, like, you perhaps that was, if you, like, if you're looking back and, and, and totting up the points and kind of who's where through the season for Leo Berger to have finished <clears throat> third in Hamburg to like a Tim Helwig and Paul Georgenthum, uh, his teammate, you know, I wonder if he would look back and think that that was a bit of a missed opportunity. I mean, obviously gave it all and that was a hell of a sprint finish, but you know, he went from third there to then taking 14th in Abu Dhabi Um Having never won a World Series, basically, I, I'm kind of you know th those are two that I guess looking back, he might be thinking, yeah, that was a that was a chance. Well, his 14th place doesn't isn't going towards his title because he has four races and he has like a couple seconds and a couple thirds, yeah. so he's sitting in a, a really good spot. <laughs> and I think with your maths, Doug, you have said um, that he would need to finish first and. Alex and Hayden would need to finish outside the top six for him to take the title. Which, you know, when you kind of write it down, you sort of think, well, it doesn't seem beyond the realms of possibility. But um, I don't know, what what would you consider to have been the biggest shock in a, in a finals or in a final tot-up? Um, I know like 2019, Vincent was, I think he needed sixth, right? And came sixth, but was right on the on the line of being able to cross cross the finish let alone do what he needed to do become world champ um yeah any that like stand out to either of you in terms of like years gone by i don't know if my my memory extends that far back they all blur into each other tommy i don't know about you katie's showdown with vicky was pretty amazing in 2018 yeah that probably was one of the biggest in uh Gold Coast, where, yeah, it was whoever won, Vicky or Katie, no matter where they finished in the field, it's just whoever beat the other. Um, and Katie actually had dropped Vicky and attacked, like, on the third lap. 
but then got reeled back in and then Ashley attacked and Vicky was able to go with Ashley and Katie got dropped from that. And so then Ashley won the grand final in her home country. Vicky finished second, won the world title. And then, yeah, Katie finished third. That was pretty epic. <laughs> I yeah, think. Sorry, go on. No, you go first, Doug. Well, no, I was just, so I was kind of looking back at how, how close various ones have been in the past and you sort of you stack up when like Javi Javi Gomez and the Brownleys and and Mario who were all kind of going toe to toe but there weren't there weren't actually that many where like for example for example this time you've got like such a even sharing of the spoils I guess of those golds coming into the finals that's that's kind of what what makes it so so interesting this time um this time yeah, around. the men and the women as well, which, you know, yeah. for fans and spectators, it's going to be such good watching. Um, yeah, I think we all just can't wait to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, I was looking at the results and just trying to see, because basically what I wanted to see what started this was where has Hayden and Alex come out of the water comparatively to each other and also Yella. And so I was kind of looking back at results and I'm like, they haven't really raced each other in terms of this series. Like that's how they all have so many points and are so close together is because they all have good results, but at different races, um, there was just so many race opportunities this entire year slash last year um, that go towards this grand final. And I think that's really exciting about this. Same thing on the women's side, like between sprint distance and Olympic distance and all over the world, different athletes racing different races and not actually going head to head. Um, yeah, we have much closer battles coming in. And yeah, it was interesting listening to Vince's post-race interview in Bermuda where he said that tactics might come into play in the French camp. And he specifically mentioned that he would be helping out um, Leo to try and get him to win the title. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a French train up the front in the men's race there. All four of those Frenchmen are really good um, swimmers and bikers. So I think, um, yeah, they're going to be trying to create a breakaway in the men's race, whether it sticks or not. Um, my view is the opposite to the women's race. I think it's going to come down to one big pack. <laughs> Tommy, you might disagree. I'm not sure. But I think with the likes of um, Hayden, uh, if Vasco doesn't swim as well as what he did in Bermuda and he finds himself behind, he'll also be driving that pack. And then obviously the Norwegians as well. So you've got a lot of firepower that's going to be coming from, you know, from the mid pack swimmers chasing down, that that French train. Yeah, I agree with that. That's always my internal debate when going through the uh, fantasy picks, <laughs> trying to figure out like, all right, who potentially could swim in the front group? Um, what are they like on the bike? What are their technical skills? How strong are they? But then you like look at the the back end of the field where you're like, Hayden will stop at nothing to get to the front. And his swim this entire season, every single race, he's been last out of all of those guys. So he basically is coming through the whole field. And those other guys are strong enough that he's not going to drop them getting to the front. So I have a feeling like Hayden is going to be the main driver to get to the front of the race. And then, of course, he's gonna, just going to pick up, yeah, even the Norwegians. He's going to pick up Yella. He's going to pick up Alex. All these guys that need to be at the front of the race. And they'll just work together um, until they get to the front. Yeah, and similarly, if if Alex, you know, doesn't have a great swim, we saw what Sam Dickinson did in the Com Games. Um, you know, he played a bit of a domestique role, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Brits have also got some tactics, um, you know, prepared uh, to get Alex towards the front as well. 
you know, Sam's super strong and he, you know, he drove Alex back into that race in the Com Games um, with Alex then, you know, catching up to Hayden and then outrunning him. Um, yeah, obviously with the controversial penalty, which we still don't know the outcome of. But, um, but yeah, I think it's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, I was looking at that and wondering if Johnny was, Brownlee was going to have some sort of uh, team tactics role because um, like he could be a major player in terms of having that front group stay away. Um, but obviously that would not be good for Alex. And so I don't know if he's just going to have the like sit in in the front and then see what happens sort of thing. Or like if they're just going to let him do whatever he wants. I don't know. How, like I have no idea. So um, but that's going to be he's one of those people that one athlete can change a race and Hayden is like one of those types of athletes. Johnny is also one of those athletes. So depending on how he's feeling, where he swims and how he decides or how he's allowed to race or whatever, um, that's going to change. I think the whole dynamics of the race. Yeah. We saw, you know, he rode really strongly in Cagliari with that breakaway. And it also looked like, I don't know what you thought in the super league racing, but it looked like he was starting to come into some really good form. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the British tactics are. If it's each man for them own or if um, if there's some team tactics involved there. Yeah, and then Matt Hauser, it's going to be interesting to see where he comes out and which Matt we see uh, pop up because, yeah, he's got the capabilities of being on the podium, beating those guys. <laughs> um, obviously, he's a fantastic swimmer, so if he finds himself in the front group, um, I'd be interested to see kind of how he plays if he tries to drive a breakaway and help them stay away to um, not allow Hayden and Alex to to join. So, yeah, he's another guy to look out for. Just you mentioning the, the swim, does the fact that the water is that hot make it less likely that Vince will like look to power right? Does, it, does that almost inevitably like condense the feel coming out of the water does that like play to Alex and, and Hayden a bit or not I wouldn't say so I think it differs like each athlete's so individual when it comes to handling the heat so I think it just boils down to physiology who's able to handle the heat and how their bodies react in the hot water it's very mm. salty as well so um like the water's saltier than normal there so it's also going to create more buoyancy than normal um we know obviously the wetsuits give a lot of buoyancy, but I suppose that to a certain extent will help the weaker swimmers, the extra buoyancy. Yeah. Also, it really actually depends if you had said it's like 27 or 29, that is a huge difference, 27 or 29. So if it's 27, there's not going to be a problem. If it's 29, then I don't think athletes will slow down or like change their pace change their race strategy based on the temperature they'll just find out afterwards <laughs> okay that was probably too hard but like everyone's just gonna go like super hard and like while you're swimming if it's 29 you're not gonna feel that like until later um so nobody's gonna change what they're doing but yeah i would say if it's 27 everyone's gonna be fine if it's 29 some people are probably gonna feel that hmm. interesting yeah um and just on the the kind of the breakaways side of things i guess yeah leads Yes, like um, Johnny and Alex were, were taken out by that accident, but Leeds was the last time we saw Vincent and uh, and Leo going away together. Uh, obviously, that you know Vince hitting the hitting the barrier somewhat uh, put a kibosh on the on what could have been. You know, had they stayed together, could Vincent have helped 
Leo help drag him to a, a better finish there even, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I mentioned this a little bit before, like with Georgia and her flat at the Olympics, like running by yourself and from a position of kind of, I, I, want, I don't want to say chaos, but like of something that was unplanned um, is a very hard thing to do. Um, and so if everything had gone well in Leeds and Vince and Leo were running together, they Hayden probably wouldn't have caught them. I, I don't know. Like you never know. You can always play the what if game, but like having two people to work together and pace off each other. If you just have somebody else that you're looking at and you're not paying attention to how your legs feel or like, how hard you're breathing or your heart bumping, like that makes a huge difference in terms of performance. So um, yeah, if they're together, um, I would say the performance is going to be elevated. And also in Leeds, Georgia missed out to Cassandra, right? That was a, you know, it was, it was a, a race of, of shocks there. Cassandra is like, you know, not necessarily going to be challenging for the title, highly unlikely, but um, depending on how she's been over the last kind of month, having not raced since Cagliari, uh, yeah, she's another one that could could have a big influence and be one of those important people that could fit in between Flora and Georgia that could help Flora win the title, right? Just, I don't know if we mentioned that earlier, but there needs to be, if they finish fifth or lower, then Flora needs an extra athlete between her and Georgia in order to take the title. Yeah, Cassandra's sitting in six at the moment, but I think I said at the beginning, there are, I think, four of them that are pretty close together gunning for that third spot. So I know Cassandra's had, you know, quite a few changes in her in her coaching environment, she's moved up to Lafra. She's moved away from France. So it might, you know, take a little while for that bit of transition period for her to get her, her rhythm back. But I would never discount her. Um, yeah, so she could be one of those athletes who could get in between Georgia and Flora, like you said. Um, but yeah, I would never discount <laughs> Cassandra, uh, spe- particularly on the run. And um, we all know how strong she is on the run. Uh yeah, I think with her, she did lose a little bit of confidence with her bike. She had that horrible crash in Yokohama. Thankfully, she wasn't um, seriously injured. But yeah, I just feel like she had lost a little bit of confidence on technical courses. So yeah, I think once she's got that confidence back then and a little bit of, you know, more settled training environment, et cetera, she'll be back right up there again. And it's kind of who who deals with pressure the best right and and Flora's obviously had a couple of races where she's expressed after that she's never known that kind of you know from being her country's first Olympic medalist to that Bermuda start line again a couple of weeks ago where everybody was turned out to see her 2018 she obviously smashed out of the park as well but um yeah for someone like Hayden coming from New Zealand who, and the the sort of heritage of someone like Bevan Doherty and as their, the country's last champ. So, you know him quite well, Tom, as well. How <laughs> it doesn't on the surface look like someone that pressure necessarily has a huge uh, sort of influence over, but you can never tell what's going on behind the eyes, can you? I think he's just one of those rare athletes that performs better with pressure. Um, like the more pressure there is, uh, I, I don't know. He just goes into this mode of like pure focus and like knows what he needs to get done. Um, a perfect example is Montreal. If you guys ever watched that, then 
Uh, he had a bike mechanical where he actually lost his chain and couldn't get it back on, was trying to put it back on while riding. He has, ended up losing the group, getting the chain back on, and then doing his, I think, all-time highest, like, four or five minute power <laughs> to get back onto the group. Um, and then he still finished. Uh, I don't even remember. Second. What second yeah. yeah. Alex E in the sprint finish, like literally the last like 200 meters. Um, I think Alex just pulled away. Um, so a phenomenal result when the pressure was on, couldn't been higher being dropped off the back of a super sprint group on the bike. Um, so that's just like a perfect example of the type of athlete that he is and is able to perform. And obviously another level this year, even compared to last year, where in Abu Dhabi last year, yeah, where he finished like eighth, he was running with the front group, but kind of faded a little bit. You're seeing zero fading this year. Um, he, it, it's almost like he just grew into a man this year. <laughs> like all of a sudden is now, you know, he has that extra level um, and is just undeniably one of the fastest runners on the circuit, runs toe-to-toe with Alex Yee every time. Um, mm. yeah, so it's... Yeah, he's a different breed. I feel like across the 10K distance, Gillian, that um, Alex would fancy himself more perhaps against Hayden, you know, if it came down to the one-on-one. What do you think? Yeah, that's a hard call. It's really tough. I would say, you know, on paper that Alex is probably a better 10K runner. Um, But again, it all boils down to what happens, you know, prior to them reaching that point if they are running together you know towards the end of that 10k run uh yeah so alex had the upper hand in yokohama um but then you know yeah i don't know it's gonna be it's gonna be a really (laughs) i mean yokohama was like yokohama was alex hayden leo right as was montreal yeah couldn't be more different styles of racing yeah and you could Um, argue that you know the mechanical that Hayden had and putting out that massive power to try and get back up to Alex, that would have taken something out of his legs. So if that hadn't have happened, then, you know, who would have won that sprint finish? Um, I guess similarly with the Commonwealth games without the penalty, we don't know who would have won that sprint finish. So um, yeah, Hayden's a great racer and I wouldn't discount him even if we would assume Alex to be a better 10 K runner on paper. So yeah, you know, I thought you might ask the question, who would I, you know, pick out of Hayden and Alex? It's a, it's a really tough one, similar to Georgia and Flora. It's so tough. And I think that's what's going to make it so exciting um, come the weekend. And that's kind of why I wasn't actually going to straight out ask you, because I, <laughs> I didn't think you'd necessarily want to answer. And it's basically, I mean, it is kind of impossible, right, Tommy? I don't suppose... <laughs> You would want to either, would you? Well, we can check out from your flipping fancy picks in a couple of days, right? <laughs> uh, nobody look at my picks. Mine is, I don't use a pseudonym so you can see my names, you can see my picks, but it's embarrassing. But <laughs> it's, so, it's so like, it's so hard because like, although I'm friends with a lot of people, so I want to pick my friends, but then I'm like, all right, maybe this race course is different. Like maybe, and then I always have to guess, like, I think the race is going to play out this way. And if the race plays out a different way, then I'm like, shoot, I should have picked the way that like, that. it's just whatever. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> but that's why I like talking about the different scenarios that could possibly happen more than like actually making the pick because you know, there's always like a 50, 50 chance that, yeah, there's a breakaway or there's not a breakaway. If it comes together, you have three athletes you pick for the podium. If there's a breakaway, you have a different three athletes that you pick. So, um, and it can happen both ways on the, the men's and the women's side, but 
Um, yeah, I think I'm more confident like Jillian that there will be a breakaway on the women's side, um, just the way, the way that's been playing out. So my fantasy picks are going to be based off breakaway on the women's side and then coming together on the men's side, <laughs> like Jillian. <laughs> <laughs> Ditto that, yeah. And when it comes to like, you know, shooting, obviously, you know, we're all ridiculously excited about what's what's to come. But you're going to be out there trying to get photos of all the athletes as well Tommy like how is it trying to keep a idea of what's going on trying to keep half an eye on the big screen probably and you know knowing exactly how the race is playing out and each time they fly past trying to get a kind of a bit of a snapshot of who's doing what or you do you often like pass a coach and just get a little bit of intel from them as well on the, like halfway through the race or uh, all of the above uh, yeah so the, like Thank God for triathlonlive.tv and on demand because I have to rewatch every race afterwards because when I'm shooting the race, I have no idea what's happening. Like after races, like if Katie was racing, like before she'd be like, oh, how did I do? Or like, how did it play out? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> like no clue. Um, and then sometimes like if I want to see who is in, I'll just have to go back through my camera and like zoom in on the pictures and be like, okay, so there's like six guys in the front group. But then, like, I have no idea what the gap is. Like, it, as an example, in Bermuda, when I was shooting there, it's like Flora would come by, and then I'd get a shot of um, uh, Maya, and then I'd get a shot of, like, the next group. And in my mind, I'm like, wow, they're, like, super close together. And then I realized at the end of the bike that Flora and Maya had, like, 50 seconds or something like that on Taylor Nib. And I was like, oh, how did that happen? Like, because I'm just getting a shot, going to the next place and getting the shot. And so to me, it feels like it's immediate, but there's actually like huge gaps. But yeah, I, I do pass coaches sometimes, or you can hear a triathlon live, like the coverage when people are watching uh, on the side of the streets. And so I'll stop and ask, like, what's the time gap? How many people are in the front group? How many more laps are left? Like, <laughs> And try to get as much information as possible. But yeah, it's a whole different experience being out there shooting um, and like trying to follow the race. But usually the only time I get to watch is when I'm sprinting back to the finish line, trying to get there before that people are actually finishing and then get to watch on the big screen down the finish shoot. So. <laughs> Unfortunately, similarly for you, Jillian, you're often commentating a bit blind as well. <laughs> there's no <laughs> timing goes down. The, you can't, you know, there's no indication of who's first, second, third. The, um, the cross triathlon in Targumuras was quite something to commentate. <laughs> yeah, we were stuck in a forest. Um, <laughs> Doug knows because he was With there, Tommy. But we were literally in a forest. Like we had our commentary booth set up like open air in this forest. And yeah, the comms up there wasn't really good. So we were really having to wing it because very limited information that we had to go off. So um, yeah, it was kind of Annie and I having a conversation <laughs> more than anything else. But um yeah, it is quite tough, but I think you just pinpoint, you kind of know who's at the front of the race and then you can, I suppose, talk about what might happen and and that type of thing. I think, yeah, they had, you know, similar situation, Vienal Domar with the with the coverage. Yeah, as a commentator, yeah, you just have to think on your feet, I guess, um, do your homework and yeah, most of the time you know who's up front, so you can talk about, you know, what might happen, that type of thing, if things do go down. Um but yeah, it's fun. Keeps you on your toes. <laughs> and your uh, fellow countryman, Jamie Riddle, will be in the under-23 men's uh, and certainly among the favourites, right? It's been great to see him attacking those races this year. Yeah, he's ranked number one going into that. So um, we'll definitely be getting behind Jamie. Obviously, I won't 
be getting behind him during the commentary because <laughs> I will remain neutral. Oh. But um, <laughs> but you're hoping that he really has a good race in that under 23 category because he's had a had a nice breakthrough year in the elite ranks. So it's really great to see his progress. Nice to see younger athletes coming through um, from South Africa. So yeah, wish oh, him a good race. I, I was on the elite start list. Speaking of South Africans. Henry, yeah, he. I think he got a wild card, so he's, I think, number sixty-six. Obviously, yeah, there's no number thirteen, <laughs> and could be one to try and break up the swim as well. We have no idea what um, type of shape he's in, but um, assuming oh, he, <laughs> putting himself on the start line, he must be, you know, feeling strong enough to be there. So he'll be one to try and go with the French athletes and break up that swim. Yeah, Henry's had a huge amount of bad luck, hasn't he? Was it? A, did he break a bone in his foot as well as double COVID and something else as well, right? So many things, yeah. Uh, I think the most recent one was an elbow. He was doing some technical prep for Super League, which he was supposed to race a series, and he came down on the bike doing some training. But I think prior to that, it was, um, yeah, like a foot fracture, I think. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. nice to see him back again. He did come back at the Com Games, raced, I think, in the relay there. Um, but yeah, this will be his first individual race, I think, uh, probably since the Olympics, I think. We also had Morgan Pearson on the podcast last week, um, who's, yeah, his first race back was Vini Del Mar. We'll be back in Abu Dhabi. Good to see him back. He was just smashed the run after various mechanical issues on the bike. So, um, yeah. Interesting to hear from someone who had such a kind of meteoric rise into the sport and then was so unfortunate to just, yeah, have an entire year out. Um, yeah, I, I did ask about the mechanicals because I was like, did he change his like from training wheels to race wheels like the night before or something like that? Because getting your chain dropped twice in the race when like that doesn't happen during training all the time, that's like. I, I, I like it was just curious if that happened, but apparently like something was wrong with his chain and he had to change his chain two days before the race. So he had a brand new chain and then, yeah, things just weren't operating properly. So that was unfortunate. Yeah. He also left us with the big question, which uh, is one week left for the competition this week. Um, I don't know if you heard, but his question to listeners was, is fashion art? Nothing related to triathlon whatsoever. But, uh, you know, obviously it's been playing on his mind a bit. <laughs> Just wanted to ask, apart from presumably Martin Van Riel, Tommy, anyone who's... Fashion sense, you're talking to the absolute <laughs> wrong person to have any on, sort I've of... Seen, I've seen your shirt collection. You're obviously a dedicated follower. So for those of you who don't know, I always travel with a flannel, a flannel shirt. And so I'm known on the circuit for <laughs> wearing a flannel all the time, no matter what the temperature um and so you don't want to go to me for fashion advice Gillian, <laughs> <laughs> who were the fashionistas of the women's circuit come on it's got Ooh. to be a couple women cassandra i'd say mm-hmm. Very, you know. as well. sorry georgia as well she's got a different outfit she's always going to fancy things because she's getting awarded for sophie caldwell likes her fashion i know that um but I'd say, yeah, Cassandra always looks very stylish, but I think the French are always like that. They always look stylish, don't they? She's always modeling some new Adidas thing that looks like, yeah, a French model thing, but it's just an Adidas thing. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, good to close out on such a heavyweight issue. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's been brilliant. Thanks ever so much. A great run through uh, and a nice way to set the tone for what will be an amazing three days of racing uh, coming up. 24th, 25th, 26th of November on TV. Gillian will be hearing you from you on the 25th. Yep. Uh, under 23 women, I think around 7-ish in the morning and under 23 men at 10 in the morning on Friday. So that's when all the excitement starts. And Tommy will be ferreting around, putting cameras in the faces of athletes when they have other things they need to be doing. And uh, you're going to be shooting a huge amount of racing. Yeah, arriving at midnight on Wednesday and then start working at 7 a.m. like that morning uh, with all the course familiarizations for Para, U23 and Elite because all three of those courses are completely different. So it's going to be from, I think, 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. or something like that. Our course familiarizations is just all day. <laughs> Strong. That's before the racing. And you'll be doing a recce. Keep an eye out on World Triathlon on social media because... Tommy, you're doing one of your famous course reccees where you'll be biking, being a tour guide, giving some insights and going full gas on the course, basically. Is that? That's the plan. We originally thought that it was just going to be one course and we were just going to have to do one, but I might have to do three different ones, one for para, one for U23 and one for elite. So we'll see. But yeah, uh, that's the plan. We got uh, Leonard Meebs coming back, who's uh, our pro videographer. So he'll hop on the motorbike, throw a microphone on my chest and yeah, we'll run through a few courses and give you guys a good example of what uh, the people are going to experience in Abu Dhabi on the new course. Excellent. Well, thanks, guys. Can't wait. It's been great to hear from you. And uh, see you out there. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Doug. Nice <laughs> thanks, Jillian. <one, guys>. <laughs> Take it easy.